All right, thank you. It is good to see you here and to be here on this cold, wintry day. And I want to start with some word associations this morning. I'm going to carry this recorder because we need to record this, but I'm going to come out here so I can hear you. And can you hear me? Is this even on a little bit? It's on as far as it can go, so we'll pretend that it's on. Um, all right, so some word associations. Just shout out what you think of. A couple th- as you as I say the word, just shout it out. Multiple ones. Okay, when I say autumn, what do you think of? Leaves. 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 Fall. Pumpkins. Pumpkins. What else? Thanksgiving. Thanksgiving. Okay, let's football. go to Thanksgiving. Thanksgiving. Oh, football. I like that. Thanksgiving. What do you think about? Pie. Food. Turkey. Family. Pumpkin pie. What? What else? Family. Family. More football. Okay. Uh, what about if I say um, Halloween? Pumpkins. Pumpkins, trick or treat, costumes, candy. All right. What about if I say school? Homework. Homework. <laughs> Bus. Teachers. Teachers. Kids. Kids. Grades. Grades. What was the last one? Fall break. Fall break. <laughs> Good, yeah. What if I say home? Family, warm. warm. Did somebody say home, comfort? What else? Safe, bed. Safe, bed. What did you say? Laundry. Laundry. There you go. Okay. What if I say discipline? Spank. Instruction. Instruction. Hard. Hard. Accountability. Accountability. Humbling. Humbling. Is that what said humbling? What else? Practice. Punishment. Punishment. All right. Uh, let me sit there for a second. How many of you think when you hear the word discipline, because we heard all sorts of, of words related to that, uh, is it negative, positive? Negative. 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 All right. I think that's typically where we, where we land um, oftentimes what we think about, isn't it? Well, um, thank you for participating so well in that uh, word association. I'm going to come back to that in a minute, but I want to just say last week what we covered in our study, we didn't get to cover it here, which was too bad because there was so much good stuff. Freedom and transformation. Our author had us look at raising kids who love the Lord with all their heart, soul, and mind. And we learned this by creating this framework of grace in our homes rather than this rigidity, which is hard for some of us. I'm a rule follower, so having things rigid works for me. Um, So I had to really work in my home to establish grace by creating a warmth where we can influence our kids and where we create a culture of confession over, do you remember what she said? Perfection. Confession over perfection. And then for today, our chapter was parenting and freedom. And Jeannie clarifies what it means to parent with grace and spent time looking at how we can reflect God's heart in the way we train up our kids. And that's the springboard for what I want to talk about, what we're going to look about this morning, specifically on what disciplining our children looks like, grace-based discipline. Now, one of the many secular definitions is to punish or penalize for the sake of enforcing obedience. It's not showing up there. You know what? I thought I had it, and for some reason I must not have saved it because it's not on here. Oh. Yeah, thank you. I, I, had, I thought I had put it on the PowerPoint. Um, but this is a secular definition that you're not going to want to stick with. So it's okay if you don't have it. But it's to punish or penalize for the sake of enforcing obedience. But in the Bible, 
discipline has a much more positive place in the lives of God's people. So Deuteronomy 5, 6 and 7 This always, there we go. Says this: Know that in your heart, that as a man disciplines his son, so the Lord your God disciplines you. Observe the commands of the Lord your God, walking in obedience to Him and revering Him. So when we understand discipline as God intended, discipline is. Oh, there is a secular definition. I just got it out of order to punish or penalize for the sake of enforcing behavior. But discipline as we're working with it today, as God um, intended, is the process by which one learns a way of life. A process by which one learns a way of life. So God designed a way of life for his people, and so the process by which God's people learn obedience is the discipline of the Lord. And so I know that for many of us, we have equated discipline with punishment. They've gone hand in hand, and often it is this negative connotation. But let me tell you the difference that hopefully will be helpful. The purpose of punishment is to impose a penalty for misconduct and focuses on the past. We're imposing a penalty that focuses on the past when we punish. Discipline, on the other hand, the purpose of discipline is to train for correction. Okay? It's to train for correction. It's future-focused. That's a big difference. Punishment imposes a penalty and focuses on the past. Discipline trains for correction and points toward future behavior. So let's go ahead and begin with the benefit of discipline. How many kids in this room, how many of your kids take piano lessons or have taken piano lessons? Okay, several. Our boys all took piano lessons. And we know that learning the piano involves getting instruction from a piano teacher, getting the guidance, getting somebody who can help teach our kids how to read the notes, the treble clef and the bass clef, and who can help them understand if a wrong note is being played, uh, in order that they can correct the notes and play that beautiful music that that song was written, um, intended to sound like, and the song played as it was written. And so the first benefit of discipline is instruction instruction. Proverbs 6.23 says, for this command is a lamp, this teaching is a light, and correction and instruction is the way to life. So discipline means teaching acceptable behaviors, teaching our children ways that we want to see them behave, and changing unwanted behavior with our support, with our guidance, and with our direction. And it's also about clarifying roles and responsibilities. And because when we do that, you know what one of the benefits of this instruction is? It creates a predictable, orderly, and stable home life. Instruction creates an orderly, predictable, stable home life. And just think about it when you've seen or been in, perhaps yourself, a home that did not have instruction. I know a young woman who's teaching right now in inner city Chicago. She's got 26 students. One student is causing chaos for the whole class. He has 
because he is not he does not have that stable orderly life and he's bringing it to the classroom and it's total chaos discipline has the benefit of instruction and it provides the benefit of boundaries there was a, a study that you may have heard of it was done several years ago but it was a study about the effects of a offense on a playground and the impact it would have on preschool children so a teacher took her class to a playground and it was a, a local playground where there was no fence uh, on this playground and they went during recess and they were just told to go ahead you know they got out of their little vehicle got to play or the bus and played there during recess and the same group was taken to another playground that had the fence around the playground well on the playground without the fence the children remained huddled close to their teacher they didn't want to leave her sight they stayed close to her the playground with the fence showed drastically different results the children felt free to explore without with with the boundaries given they felt free to go far. They felt free to go to the limits. And so that overwhelming conclusion was that with set boundaries, children felt safer exploring that playground. And without the fence, the children were able uh, to see a given boundary or limit and were reluctant to leave the caregiver. So this is the point for us as parents. This is what we learned. The reality is your kids will feel more secure if they know you have set an appropriate boundary and that you're not afraid to enforce it. Moms, don't be afraid to set boundaries. Our job is not to be friends with our kids. It's not to be the cool mom, as much as we might want that as they get older, especially. Our job is to love our kids by guiding them towards independence, and we do that by establishing boundaries. And it's challenging. Oh, those boundaries are challenging because they're hardwired to push back, aren't they? It's uncomfortable, it's frustrating, but it's our job. Do you know that research shows that kids who push back on these boundaries and test limits actually have better social outcomes? And that young adults who had little to no boundaries as children felt like their parents didn't care about them. So when we set healthy boundaries for our kids, we are both helping them feel secure and helping them grow and mature. All right, so the, the benefit of discipline. Now let's, oh, this is my little playground picture. Okay. The pitfalls of discipline. There was a little 10-year-old girl who was overcome with anxiety about uh, spilling a drink at the table common occurrence in some of our homes spilling a drink at the table but she had so much anxiety that she cried over and over I'm so stupid I'm so stupid I'm so stupid come to find out those were the exact words her mother used when she would do something like that she lived in a fear of her parents judgment and learned to shame herself in the same way that she had been shamed so one of the pitfalls of discipline is shame now we've learned that discipline is not the same as punishment it's also important to recognize that discipline is not the same as shame and our author did talk a little bit about this in our study which i thought was super helpful 
discipline, as we understand instruction, training, teaching them a way of life, is necessary. Punishment and shame are not. Punishment and shame are not. So what is shame? Let's understand it. Shame is an intensely painful feeling that we are flawed and therefore unworthy of love and belonging. Now, I want to acknowledge that in a room this size, some of you likely grew up in homes where there was shame-based discipline. And it's hard to break that pattern. That may be all you know. Others of us may not have been, but we just default to shame-based parenting because it's easier. But if you grew up that way and you find that that's your pattern, I want to encourage you to talk to somebody, get professional help. You don't want to pass on those patterns to your kids. The reason why I want to encourage you to do this is because you want to avoid using shame as a parenting tool. It's all too common because you know what? It works in the short term. It works to get immediate behavior change, but it comes at a great cost. And that cost is the threat to your child's self-worth. The child experiences shame as a threat of being unlovable. So we need to under, but we need to understand there is a difference between shame and guilt. So let's talk about that for a minute. Shame communicates, I am bad and unworthy of love and belonging. The focus on the self. So shame is, I am bad and unworthy. That's a message we do not want to pass on. Guilt communicates, I made a bad choice. I made a mistake. The focus is on the behavior. So you see the difference? One is focused on the self, one on the behavior. Big difference between shame and guilt. I think it's important that we as parents know that because I can look back and I can tell you there were many times um, I'm sure that I fell into shaming my, my boys unintentionally, but once we're aware of it, we can catch ourselves, right? So for example, let me give you an example. When your child draws on the wall, she's not a bad girl. She's not a bad girl. She's a creative young person who made a bad choice. When your son leaves the baseball size hole in the basement, basement drywall, he's not a bad boy. He's a boy with a very good arm, says my husband, who made a bad decision. <laughs> Healthy parents communicate, I love who you are, but your choices are unacceptable. Okay? Shame is a pitfall of discipline, and a second pitfall is anger. When one of our sons was in middle school, my husband and I were driving home. Uh, I don't recall where we were coming from, but I think all four boys were in the car. And this particular son was pushing every single one of my buttons. Um, I don't remember the issue, but I do know that the one button that he was pressing was disrespect. And that's a high value in our home. We just value, respect is a, was a top uh, value, and we, we, uh, that was a battle we were going to fight. I told my husband, so this is a story I didn't remember until my husband brought it up recently. <laughs> but I told my husband, apparently, to stop the van and I told this son to get out and walk home. 
he had pushed the disrespect button. So when my husband reminded me of this story, I said, oh my gosh, I told him to get out of the van and walk home. Where were we? And we're like, downtown Geneva, where were we? We live in Batavia. How far did I make him walk? He said, no, we were just a block away. He just, you know, he made him walk a block away. I was Ephesians 6, 4 says, Fathers and mothers, I would add, do not pro provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. Well, I will say we all feel angry at our kids at some time, don't we, during our parenting journey. Anger comes for a number of reasons. One, because our kids are little sinners. I told my daughter-in-law that recently. Your two-year-old is a little sinner. That's why she's pushing all your buttons. <laughs> we are sinners too. But our kids are gonna push our buttons because they don't listen and we get frustrated. We feel helpless. We feel insulted. We feel emotionally stressed from other things going on in our lives. We feel physically stressed. We're tired. We lack sleep, we might be sick, several are sick this morning that can't be here. There might be other physical issues on and on. And even though it is normal to feel anger, it is normal. We are moms who feel the emotion of anger. It's important that we don't hurt our loved ones with that anger. Anger is a feeling. It's not a parenting tool. Anger is a feeling, it is not a parenting tool. And again, if this is something, you, know, you were raised in a home where there was a lot of anger and it was not managed well, it may be that you have some coping skills to, that, that can be um, managed and you can adjust and can get help for. There is, there's no shame in that. Get the help you need to be a healthy mom. Most of us have disciplined out of anger. And if you have made a real mistake in the heat of the moment, and we will, I have, and you will, breathe, cool down, apologize, explain to your child if they're old enough how you will handle the situation differently in the future, and then be sure to keep your promise. <laughs> this gives your child a model of how to recover from mistakes. And you know what? The good news is we can correct our child's neg negative behavior without using anger. We can. And I want to give you actually a resource. It's on the bottom of your back page. A book recommendation, Parenting with Love and Logic, Teaching Children Responsibility, is a book that came out years and years ago. It's been updated a couple times and most recently in 2020, I believe. But you, it's about learning to establish healthy boundaries with your children through um, steps easy to implement steps without anger, threats, nagging, or power struggles. So if you're a reader, that's a book I would recommend um, to pick up. All right. Finally, let's move to tools for grace-filled discipline. The uh, Proverbs 3, 11 and 12 says, My son, or I would add my daughter, do not despise the Lord's discipline and do not resent his rebuke because the Lord disciplines those he loves as a father, the son he delights in. 
Now remember, the de definition of discipline that we're working with is the process by which we're teaching our kids a way of life. So let's look at some basic tools for teaching while offering grace. And our author did some of this as well. So we're, I'm just kind of uh, taking on to a little bit of what she has said. But beginning with clarifying expectations. This is kind of the who, what, and when. So that begins with clearly, clearly telling your child in age-appropriate way what you want them to do and when. I think too often we're very vague or I will say, I was often very vague in giving my kids instructions. So, for example, you would say, Johnny, I'd like you to have your room cleaned by 3 this afternoon. Instead of, Johnny, I'd like you to clean your room. Or even, Johnny, I'd like you to clean your room today. Well, he has all day till he goes to sleep, if you say that, right? But if you say, I want you to clean your room by three today, that means you're the one, it's the wear of the room, and by three. This works really well for husbands as well. <laughs> Just a tip. Okay. So depending on the age and task, giving a heads up or a warning are helpful too. Like in five minutes, I'm sure many of you do that. In five minutes, we're going to change our task. In uh, one minute, giving the heads up. I did not know this as a young mom, and our, our oldest son really had a hard time changing gears. But I was ready to change gear. I need you to pick up your toys right now. Let's go. Let's go. And um, I had to learn I, those warnings, those heads up were expectations. They're giving him my expectation. Five minutes, a change is coming. Five more minutes um, till I need him to uh, pick up the toys. So give clear consequences is another one. Cla clarify, there's my verse. Oh, am I going backwards? I'm going backwards. Hang on. Give clear consequences. So um, our author did a good job of saying, reminding us that offering grace does not mean there aren't consequences to behavior. I think that's really important. So we can calmly and firmly explain our consequences to our children. If um, calmly and firmly explain the consequences to your children if they don't do what you've asked them to do. For example, tell your daughter if she doesn't pick up your toy or toys, you'll put them away for the rest of the day. Okay, simple, clear. Sometimes natural consequences can teach children their greatest life lessons. For example, somebody who constantly runs out the door without a jacket, right? If you take it all the time to them, how are they going to learn that when it gets cold, they need a jacket? Let them get cold. They'll, they'll remember their jacket. That's an easy one many of us have dealt with. Other times, kids need logical consequences. A child who plays too rough with their mother's computer might learn to be gentler when they lost that computer privilege. That's a logical consequence. Instead of saying, you're grounded from TV for the next month, because that impacts who? <laughs> Be careful of imp giving consequences that impact and make life harder for you, too, right? Um, so a few tips from personal experience. These are just a few things that we learned along the way. Uh, but you know, obviously, they're not new for us. They're, these are things that we learned from others and from the professionals ahead of us. Um, Avoid power struggles. Ugh, it's so easy to get into these power struggles because we want to win. We're the parent. But trying to force your child to do something isn't going to teach self-discipline. I have a memory of very early on, I think I was in early elementary school, sitting at a kitchen table being forced to eat my vegetables. I still remember 
have an image of this picture, and I could not leave the table until I ate my vegetables. I didn't like any vegetables. And my parents made me sit there until I ate them. And I was going to win that battle. And I think my parents obviously thought they were going to win that battle. Well, finally, I decided I would give in. I, it felt like hours. It was probably, you know, 10 minutes. But I sat at the table. I finally took a bite of the vegetables. I probably threw up. Um, so I don't know really who won that battle. But the point is, I never learned to eat vegetables until I was in college. So what happens when we get into these battles is that when children are forced to do something they don't want to do, and I get that there are certain exceptions, I will say that, they often focus more on their anger toward their parent than learning the lesson you want them to learn. All right, so pick your battles is another one. Pick your battles. Give the small things small attention, like eating vegetables, and the big things big attention, like speaking with disrespect. And you'll be happier and calmer. There are just some battles that are too small to fight, right? Your children will be happier, calmer, and better behaved, too. Hear them out. Take time to listen. Let your child finish the story before you sol help solve the problem or give the consequence. Um, I remember being in a situation, a conflict with my siblings and my dad, who was very authoritative in his parenting, uh, authoritarian, that's the bad one, right? Authoritarian is, was very authoritarian in his parenting um, at that time in his life. He changed over the years, but he was just, he didn't want to hear my story, my side of it. He just said, did you such and such, yes or no? And I said, yes, but no, yes or no? And I said, yes, but he didn't want to hear it. And I felt so unheard. I felt it was unfair. I felt like I was minimized. And I think if we can help our kids feel understood, hear the side before we go further. Finally, as the kids grow, they need space to learn how to make healthy decisions on their own. Ultimately, we want them to be able to consider the potential consequences of their own behavior and have their, that guide their um, actions. So first is clarifying expectations, and second is consistency. And when it comes to discipline, consistency is key. And when we've been clear about expectations and consequences, we have to follow through. We have to follow through and follow through right away. So if you say, when you pick up your toys, you can play outside. If little Tommy doesn't pick up his toys, be prepared to follow through right away. Such a bummer, you've chose not to go outside. It's his choice. He didn't pick up his toys. But we're not saying, okay, well, we're going to wait. We, too often, I think, we dilly-dally and give him second, third, fourth choices, right? Avoid empty threats. Don't take away anything that you really don't mean to uphold. So if you say... Um, we're, you're not going to get to go to grandma's this weekend. Don't say it if you don't really mean it. I think we do a lot of that, threat, empty threats. And you know what happens? It teaches our child, when we make empty threats and don't follow through, you're teaching your child you don't mean what you say. Mean what you say and only say that. Okay, call a timeout. Uh, this... Um, <laughs> a few weeks ago, our uh, son and daughter-in-law were out of town, so we got to keep Emery, our two-year-old. And my daughter-in-law told me, if you need to put Emery 
in her little timeout for one minute, you can do that. Now, Emery just turned two, so I don't know if they're going to two minutes, but that's what we, we use timeout a lot in raising our boys. And so, but she said one minute is what they do. So if you need to use one minute, use one minute. And I'm the grandma that I don't know how much to do that right now. We're navigating what, how much do I do the, the discipline teaching instruction. But she told me that. And I could not for anything get Emery to come one day to have her diaper changed. We were up in my bedroom. Come on, Emery, you need to come sit, change your diaper. And she's all dilly-dallying around. I could find the emotions, you know, stirring up in me. So I said, Emery, do I need to put you in, do you need one minute? Uh, do you need to sit for one minute? And she, with a little smile, ran to the door where she knew she had to sit. She said, yep, yeah, sit for one minute. <laughs> I said, wait a minute. This isn't how it's supposed to work. You don't put yourself in timeout. I put you in timeout. <laughs> okay, something's wrong with this picture. <laughs> but she, um, eventually we got the diaper changed. But this is uh, an effective tool. How many of you use timeouts? Yeah, very effective for us. It was effective for some of our kids more than others. I tell you, one of our sons, you had to count to three, three and a half, four almost until he got there. And the other son, we just said one, and boom, he was there. So it will, it will be different. And finally, uh, I want to wrap up with love and forgiveness. Preserve the relationship with your child at all Make the problem the behavior, not the child. The problem is the behavior, not the child. Give them your attention. The most powerful tool of effective discipline is attention. That's why sometimes they act negatively, right? To get your attention. Catch them being good. Notice when they do good, show good positive behavior and affirm them for that. Praise kids when they do things without you telling them. Share words of affirmation and praise lavishly. Model forgiveness. Admit mistakes that you were wrong. Ask for forgiveness. And a quick side note here, a lesson I learned about for teaching our boys forgiveness. One time we had a little incident and we would have the boys say, you know, say I'm sorry, I'm sorry. And the other one says, okay, say, say it's okay. And it dawned on me, it's not okay. When the other boy, we, we, we learned it's, we should be teaching him to say it's okay. Because when you're forgiving somebody, it's not okay. I'm choosing not to hold it against you. So we learned that we wanted our sons to say, I forgive you. Or will you forgive me? And the other to say, I forgive you. Not, it's okay. Do you see what I'm saying, the difference there? It's small, but it's just a lesson on teaching forgiveness. All right, bottom line, our kids need to know that no matter what they do, we'll always love them. We might be disappointed in their choices. We might not approve of their behavior, but the message they need to hear from us is that nothing they do changes the worth of who they are as a child loved and created by God. Jeannie Cunyon shared a story in her video last week. I don't know if you were able to listen to it. It was a brief video. And if you didn't get a chance to listen, uh, I'll share it with you briefly as I finish up. After praying with her boys at night, it was a tradition for her to end with saying, how much do I love you? And she'd walk out of the room and she would say to her boys, how much do I love you? And they would 
put their arms open and say this much. And then she'd say a second, ask a second question. She'd say, and does my love ever change? And they would say, never. And she'd close the door and she'd walk downstairs. Well, one night she walked downstairs and she realized there was something that day that happened. And she said, that day she remembers acting in a way that her love was very conditional for her son, for her boys. So she went back to her room. She said, hey guys, I want to ask you another question. Whose love for you is even deeper and wider than my love and daddy's love for you? And one of her boys yelled out, God's love. Isn't that the assurance we want our kids to go to bed at night with? To put their heads on their pillows with the confidence in the midst of our everyday chaos, the mistakes we're going to make, the discipline, the failures, the growth, that even more than our love is that they grasp how wide and high and long and deep is the love of Jesus. Will you pray with me? Heavenly Father, we thank you for this time. We thank you that we have the privilege of being mothers. But Father, we need you, and we ask that you would guide us every day in every way to offer your grace to our children. You are the giver of all grace. How we thank you for that. Guide us now as we go to our groups, as we discuss and learn and share together. In Jesus' name, amen.